Gracious Heavenly Father, we have come this morning to worship you. We have come this morning to hear from you. Your wisdom is perfect. You know all things and all ways, and you have revealed to us many truths and realities that we can trust and live by. Father, you've sent your Son to live and to die and to rise again that those who would believe in him might live forever in right standing with you. Father, help us as we open your word this morning. Help me to be led by your Spirit to preach your truths. Father, I pray your Spirit would move in the ears of your people to listen and to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests, as most of you know, I was I was regenerated in on September 11th of 2001. That is when God saved me. And from that time, and a year prior from that time until 2008, I attended a, I don't know, I guess you would call it a, a fairly normal Big Eva church. Uh, it, was a, it was a church where we would go each week and we'd really learn how to do better now and um, how to physically serve our community. I became a pastor in October of 2008. And that was my church experience. It's all I had known. Now I'd begun to study and read. I was preaching at a men's group, and so I had lots of time studying the Bible and growing in my knowledge, but that's the only church that I had known, the only church life. Other than as a child, some Presbyterian churches we went to, but I don't even remember those much. So. I remember distinctly early in my Christian walk, but then then again when I became a pastor. Now, this is going to sound strange, but just stay with me for a minute. What is Christianity all about? I mean, I was trusting in the Lord for my salvation. I, I was thankful God had changed me so much, but I was, what, what, what is Christianity all about? What is the church for? Again, my context was how I had come out of a church where you gathered and learned how to do better and were encouraged to serve the community physically. And, um, you know, you should be a better husband and wife and father. And But that wasn't even much of it. It was really just doing better in all ways. And what's the point? That was what I was wrestling with, even in my pastorate. And so... I don't remember when it was exactly. Somewhere not too long after we started. You know, that was, again, the church I came from was a large church. And the church growth model was kind of all I knew. And so one thing you had to have was a purpose purpose statement. So we put together a purpose statement. And it's in some form still on the back of your bulletins to this day. The purpose of Grace Fellowship Church is to pour biblical truth into and build up God's remnant. Equipping them to carry out the work of the church that God commissioned before the beginning of time. So that is what the elders set out to do. 
That is what we wanted to do. That was what we intended to do. But what was the work? And early on at this church, we focused on things like marriage and parenting and finances. And those things were important. And they were necessary, I would say, for a young church of a bunch of immature believers trying to figure out how to live out the Christian life. And, and then, again, I don't remember when it was. But in my own personal life, and then ex- spreading into the elders, uh, really coming to understand that uh, the centrality of the work that a Christian has to do, the, the, the main thing that we have to do is promote, proclaim, live out, speak out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That may sound obvious to you. Uh, I wish you could be in my head and with me all these years trying to figure out early on in my pastorate, what are we up to? People were being saved. The gospel was going forth. And then we kind of worked on living out our Christian life and we were not a gospelist church, but we were not a gospel-centered church. <clears throat> but the work, the work of the church, the equipping of the saints for the ministry, what ministry? All kinds of ministry, but at the, at the core of all of that, even in our parenting, in our, in our, in our, our marriages, and in our, our finances, all those things, it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us and that we want others to know of. Mark 16, 40, 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. First Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Honoring Christ as holy ready to tell people about Him and the hope that we have in Him. And, by the grace of God, doing so with gentleness and respect, much more than we did when we became a gospel-centered church. But that that leads me to this, which is where I'm headed with this pre-sermon. I am so thankful and joyful and encouraged and edified by this body and all of the gospel conversations that are happening every day, everywhere. I mean, I get... Again, if you could go back with me to 2008 and 9 and 10 and 12 and 14, it was... It was like pulling teeth. It was really to spur us on to gospel conversations that were useful was difficult. 
we had a lot of arguments. We had a lot of good arguments. The gospel was going forth, and 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 yet it was it was challenging, and and it has become. What I'm so thankful for is it has become just something that we all do. And I get to hear about them all week. I get prayer requests. Hey, my neighbor's got this going on. I'm working with this guy. Hey, this lady I know. All of these conversations that are happening now about the gospel. Philippians 1.3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, I'm here. Not like Paul writing to a church he wasn't at, but this is true of me for y'all. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Well, I have no imprisonment, but both in in, in all of the struggles I go through myself as being part of this church, you share in all of those and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So I just want to tell you, I praise God and be encouraged. You get to be in my chair, my life, watching this church grow, change, mature, be edified and equipped. The gospel is going forth regularly. And I am thankful. And we, 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 like all churches, have error. But you know what? We know the point. We know what it's all about. Christianity is about our thankfulness to God for having saved us and then our desire for others to know of the hope that we have. Amen indeed. What a great God we serve. It would allow us to serve Him and be used by Him to give the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, to dead sinners that they might be saved. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verses 25 through 28 today. So if you will stand, I will read verses 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. You may be seated. Jesus has just been talking mainly to the 70 disciples that had gone out and come back. And they were, remember, they were overjoyed. They were rejoicing about the, uh, the, um, the power that they had even over demons. And he was telling them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. And then he talked about what he had rejoiced in. And he rejoiced in the fact that uh, the salvation of God's elect and how that had come about. And he was telling them how blessed they were for, for hearing what they hear because many people, prophets and kings, had not heard what they heard or seen what they'd seen. 
And then in the middle of all that, there's a larger group around it, and this takes place. Uh, today's sermon is titled, Life's Most Important Question. There's lots of questions that we ponder over our lives, lots of decisions that we make. Who, who will I marry? How will how we educate our children? What job should I take? Should I keep this job or go to that job? Should I start this business or should I not? How do we care for our aging parents? These are all very meaningful questions with consequences. And they do matter. Questions matter. But none of these questions are as important as the question that this lawyer asked Jesus. There is no more important question than what shall I do to be saved? As Christians, we have that answer. As unbelievers, you must ask this question and you must answer it rightly. Your eternal destiny depends upon it. It's a big deal. There is no more important question than that question. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice how this question that he asks presupposes eternal life. A lawyer stood up put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The This lawyer, Namikas, from Namas and then Ikas, uh, it's a, a about the law. It's a person that's about the law. In the New Testament, an interpreter and teacher of the Mosaic law. So who this man is, is a, a scribe, maybe, uh, a, related to the Pharisees, maybe a rabbi's assistant. He is a expert in Mosaic law. That's who he is. You've got this this big crowd. Jesus is just finishing addressing these disciples and telling them of how blessed they are. And then this religious Jewish elite man, very he would have been a very influential man amongst the people. He stood up and put him to the test. Put Jesus to the test. Ek pirazzo. It means to try to trap. To attempt to catch in a mistake. To put to a test. So so this this lawyer, this religious lawyer, is not a lawyer in the sense, when you hear the word lawyer today, I don't want to keep explaining it. It's not like a, a, a civil lawyer. It's a, a lawyer being one who is an expert in Mosaic law. He's a religious leader. And and he stands up, and he's trying to make Jesus trip up. He's trying to make him make a mistake. He's trying to ask him a question and have Jesus give an answer that is different than the Torah, than different than Mosaic law, so he can catch him up. So his, his motives aren't pure, but he asks this very important question. He, he wants to win a debate, so he stands up and he puts Jesus to the test, and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. 
Zoe Ionias. Life eternal. This, this expert, he knew, he knew that there was life after death. He knew that all the Jews and he would believe in the reality that they had a soul that would never die. In our day and age, not very often, Brother Tony, when you're out on the streets, or brothers and sisters, when you're in the world you're in, you're talking to people, not very often will they say to you, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If they know you're a Christian, you're up to talk about the things of, of Christianity, they want to know how they can have a better life now. They want to know what they can gain from, you know, from Christianity. But I don't know if you've ever had that question asked. I can't remember even walking up to me and saying, hey, what, what, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Before, before I went, I mentioned earlier in the pre-sermon, the church I went to, before I went to Promise Keepers and heard the gospel, I heard a lot about how I should live. A lot about how I should do better this week. How I should function in my job. How I should function in my family. How I should function to, the, to my neighbors. I heard a lot about that. But really, I didn't ask. I mean, before I got saved, I didn't know until I went to Promise Keepers. Eternal life really wasn't what I was taught. But, but we need to remember that the gospel presupposes eternal life. Now, that's obvious, yes? But we can't forget that. We cannot forget that the gospel presupposes eternal life. The gospel is about eternity. The gospel is not about now. It's about a soul that will never die. The gospel is, is, is not about life here and now. Now, the gospel certainly affects life here and now. It has great impact on the life of a Christian in the temporal world that we live in, but, but the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of God the Son deals with the problem of a person's eternal soul and its separation from God due to its sin. That is the gospel. The gospel presupposes... Your biggest problem isn't that you can't pay your bills or your marriage is falling apart or you're a drug addict. Your biggest problem is you have a soul that will never die. And unless you know Christ, it will be separated from God for all eternity. That's the biggest problem. While most people don't, they talk about the here and now as we evangelize people, as we talk with people, they, they, they talk about the here and now, but, but most everyone understands there is eternal life. Even people will tell you, no, I think we just die and become dust. Well, your body does, but you have a soul that will never die. Even those people, they would tell you, many of them, well, yeah, my dead grandma's looking down from heaven or looking down on me. Uh, the Greeks used to ancient Greeks used to put a silver coin in the mouth of the, of the ones they would bury so they could, they could pay their way for the ferry to take them across the mystic river to the life eternal. American Indians would bury their warriors with their horses so they would have something to ride in the, the hunting grounds of 
eternity. In most people is a real sense of eternity. And, and part of evangelism is making sure we remind them of their eternal soul. He came up and asked the question. But this is what people, this, this is what the gospel presupposes eternal life. This lawyer is, is only trying to set up Jesus to fail with this question. But he did re- believe in the reality of heaven and hell. He did believe in the reality of a soul that would never die. He did believe in a, in a need to be right with God. We, we again, need to remember this as we evangelize people. Matter of fact, people in here today or that listen to this, if you're hearing me talk right now, and you don't know, you have not yet believed into Jesus Christ, you need to understand something. You have a soul that will never die. You have a soul that will never die. Your body will die. It will become dust. Christ will return. And every soul that's ever died will resurrect, some unto glory and some unto Eternal torment. This is your problem. This is the problem of a dead sinner who you're talking to. They need to know how to inherit eternal life. Zoe Ionias. Psalm 133, 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Daniel 12, 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is a reality that we see all throughout the Scriptures. This is a reality this this Jewish lawyer would have known. This is a reality that we, we, we know and people must understand. Matthew 8, 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is two places. Reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with God in heaven, and be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 18, 8, And if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life, zoe, zao, eternal life, crippled or lame, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. Notice that heaven is eternal and hell is eternal. This, this lie of annihilationism, which is what secular humanists believe or Jehovah's Witnesses believe, or even some professing Christians would, would believe a lie of annihilationism. In other words, when someone dies, they just cease to exist. Or in the case of some nominal Christians or in case of Jehovah's Witnesses, they would say people die, and when they die, their soul can go to heaven, but otherwise they just cease to exist. 
That's just not true. Eternity is forever for every human being made in the image of God. We have a soul that will never die. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has zoe ionias, eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 2 Thessalonians 1.5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, so enemies of Christianity, God will repay with affliction and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Vengeance will be inflicted upon those who do not know God and who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have not believed into Him, they will face vengeance for all eternity, the vengeance of God. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Either eternal bliss, joy, peace, and love with God in heaven or eternal punishment. This is true. You can shake your head at it all you want. The people we talk to and tell of Christ, they can, they can deny their soul will live forever all they want. Well, they're wrong. The soul is eternal. So the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, zoeionias, eternal life with God, that's the question. Because the alternative is eternal life in damnation where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and nothing but the wrath of God. God is present in hell and only His wrath shines forth. Matthew thirteen thirty six. Then He left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be in the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. He will gather out of his kingdom. He will, Christ will return, and he will scoop up all of those who were, were sinners and who were, were not, did not know him as their Savior, and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who he who has ears let him hear. Every person. And again, when we talk to people, what they must understand is there is eternity for all of us. Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and the dust returns to the earth, and as it was, when a body, when a person dies, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. 
Hebrews or Hebrews nine twenty seven. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. First Corinthians fifteen thirty two. What do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead aren't raised, live it up. If there's not eternity to our soul, then who cares? Enjoy all you can right now. But the reality is, there is eternity for every soul. There is eternal life in Christ, and there's eternal damnation for those outside of Christ. So, so this lawyer asks the most important question that could ever be asked. The, the question that every one of you must ask. The question, I would love if every unbeliever came to me and asked that question. Because there is eternal life. And I want to inherit it. And I want you to inherit it. So, this lawyer wanted to inherit it. And he said, what shall I do? Now again, he's not asking this question honestly. He's trying to trip Jesus up. But he is asking the question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I find this question of the lawyer to be so ironic. He asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. The Greek word for inherit, neomai, to receive something of considerable value which has not been earned. That's what the word means. He says, teacher, what should I do? What, what, should I, what work should I do to receive what can't be earned. <laughs> you can't earn it. You can't do anything. It's inherent in his question. In the, in the language he used. What works do I have to do to gain that which cannot be earned? You see, this eternal life cannot be earned. You cannot earn eternal life. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Charisma is the word there for free gift. That which is given freely and generously. A favor which one receives without any merit of his own. So eternal life cannot be earned. It is a gift that's given for no merit of the person receiving the gift. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God. So in the good news of Jesus Christ, life, death, burial, and ascension, in the gospel is righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Live by faith. Zao. It's a future tense verb. Live again. Resurrection life. Paul's talking about not living now by faith. Our eternal life is wrought by faith. Okay? It's not the gospel as the power of God into salvation. For, for in it, for in it, the rights of God is revealed. The righteous shall live by faith now. No, no. The righteous shall live eternally by faith. Future life, not life now. It is true we live our lives in faith. Every day we live by faith and not by sight, yes? But this is talking about eternal life is lived. Life is in faith. It has nothing to do with life now. We live eternally by faith. We are alive eternally, not due to any works that we do. We cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. We believe that Jesus has done it all. Christians know that we cannot do anything to earn eternal life. We know that Jesus has done it all. This lawyer, this Jewish elite, he believed he needed to do something to get to heaven. He believes because he was Jewish by birth and because he was following the law better than most, that would get him there. We know better, yes? We know that we do nothing to inherit eternal life. We know that it's a free gift of God. We know that our eternal life is wrapped up and inside of and, and all in Christ Jesus. We know it's nothing that we did or do. This man didn't. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If I were to ask any unbeliever in this room, ask yourself, what must you do? What shall you do to inherit eternal life? I got to do better. I got to clean up my mess. Stop sinning and, and do better. Won't work. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. Now, there is one Holy Spirit empowered work that every Christian does. 
The one that Jesus told them to do, told us to do. In John 6, 29, when they, they wanted more bread, and then he wouldn't give it to them, said, well, teach us how to make the bread. We want to do these works. And he says this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Here's the Holy Spirit-empowered work that everyone will do. Believe in Jesus Christ. All of the elect of God will put their faith and trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit will empower them to put their faith and trust in Christ. That's it. That's what they will do. What shall you do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing you can do in and of yourself. There's no way you can atone for your sins against God. There's nothing you can do to fix your eternal soul's dilemma. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God the Son, has done it all. It's finished. In order to illustrate this reality to the Jewish expert, this this expert in the Torah, this man who knew his Bible well, knew the law of Moses well, Jesus asks him, what does the law say? So this man has said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Trying to trip up Jesus, trying to make him answer wrongly that he can swoop in and say, see, he doesn't even teach the Bible. He doesn't even teach the Old Testament. He doesn't even use the Word of God. He says, look, what does, the, what does the law say? What does the Torah say? What is written in the law? How do you read it? So, Mr. Expert, who's asking me, what shall you do? What does the Bible say? What does the Old Testament say? What does the Torah say? What does the Mosaic law say? And how do you, how do you exegete that? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This Jewish lawyer, this religious elite, he answers with the beginning of the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that Jewish people said and say in their morning prayers and their evening prayers. And it's it's like the Shema is, is mandatory for a good Jew. It is a daily recitation that, that is it is to be observed as a biblical commandment. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four. This is what the guy is quoting. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what this lawyer recites. This is what God said. This is what he had in his Torah. This is how I'll inherit eternal life. I'll love the Lord 
God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. That's what I will do. That's how I will be in heaven with God. And by the way, in Deuteronomy 6, it goes on to say this in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your might, your strength and teach your kids to do the same. And it is right and good for us to teach our children diligently the diligently the commands of God. It is right and good. But don't ever forget, it will not make them right with God. It will not make them right with God to teach them the commands of God. To follow the law. This was the error in this lawyer's thinking. And he answered, how how would one inherit Eternal life, he answered using the law. Think about his answer of how to inherit eternal life. Think about what he said. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, halas. The word means all, wholly, completely, entirely. You shall love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being. Every square inch of you. Every part of you entirely. You will love completely. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, cardia, inner self, the control center of a being. All your soul, your suke, life, soul, self. All your strength, iscus. Capability implying personal potential, strength, might, and power. And your mind, Dionia, the psychological faculty of understanding, reasoning, thinking, and deciding. These are given to us not as four distinct things. It is The point is, here's how you're going to go to heaven based on the law. Perfectly, entirely love God with every ounce of being that you have and are, all of your strength, all of your soul, all of your mind, it is all loving God, perfectly and always. This is how one can inherit eternal life by loving God perfectly with all that they are. And then, and then he says this as well. And your neighbor as yourself. So not only what you must do, according to this lawyer, love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. With all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. With every ounce of your being. And the church I went to taught me to love my neighbor and that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian and that's how I'm going to show I'm a Christian. I remember 
I remember with the people in that church how discouraged they were because they failed at loving their neighbors well enough. So they try harder to love their neighbor. I've got to do this because I can't be right with God if I don't. So this, this, this second part of the answer is love your neighbor as yourself. It comes from the Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This very religious, pious man answered Jesus and how to eternal inherit eternal life by loving God and loving the neighbor. And Jesus points him to this law that he answers exactly where Jesus pointed him, to that law. What is written in the law? How do you exegete it? He says, I know how to get to heaven. It's by always loving God with every ounce of my being and loving my neighbor with every ounce of my being. That's how I get to heaven. By the way, the word for neighbor there, plesion, a neighbor, a friend, any other person, and where two are concerned, the other, thy fellow man, thy neighbor. According to the Jews, any member of the Hebrew race and commonwealth. Before we get too upset with this guy's answer, or before, now Jesus is going to fix this in the next couple of weeks, but before we get too upset with him, he got that answer from Leviticus 19.18. The neighbor was the sons of your own people. So, this man says, according to the Torah, the way to go to heaven and to spend eternity with God is to live according to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. Is he wrong? He's right. You love God perfectly. You love Him. That means you never sin, by the way. You never miss the mark. With your whole being, all that you are, mind, soul, strength, body, you you love Him perfectly and, and your neighbor. That will get you to heaven. That's the answer. That's straight from the Old Testament. Jesus answers him. Correct. Now do it and live. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Orthos. Orthos, straight. You have answered correctly, rightly, straightly. Right answer. You answered correctly. According to what is written, you've answered correctly. You are correct. Right standing with God, according to the law, is to be accomplished by perfectly loving God and your neighbor. Perfectly living out the first four of the Ten Commandments and loving God, and perfectly living out the last six commandments and loving your neighbor. That is exactly correct, Jesus tells him. That is the exact right answer. According to the law. But how you read it, that's what you're missing. But but you're right. That is the correct answer. Follow these commandments and live. Live eternally in right relationship with God. God was very clear about this way to be right with Him. In Leviticus 18.5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules... If a person does them, 
he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Ezekiel 20.11, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. So listen, it is true that God has said, love him perfectly. Love your neighbor perfectly. Every part of you, no part being, being outside of loving him. No part being outside of serving him. Obeying Him. That is how He said one would go to heaven. And there are so many people that are trying. So many religious people today that are trying to do just that. My son was close to... He, at one time in his life, wanted to take his life because he had been convinced that there was something called sinless perfectionism and that he had to live perfectly before God. And when he couldn't, he wanted to take his own life. He was trying to live by the law. That's what some liars told him to do. So God's purpose in giving the law, was so that people could live eternally with Him by perfectly obeying it. Correct? God's purpose in giving the law was so that people could live with Him eternally by perfectly obeying it. Correct? No. The law was given so that God's people would see their need for a Savior, a need for a Messiah, because there's no way they could do that. The reason the law was given was so that people could see there's no way they can do that. And that's the standard. The standard is that. That's how you get in with God. If not, to hell with you. That is the standard. And the law was given so that people can see, I can't do that. As you're going to see with this lawyer, he thought he could. As you saw with the rich young ruler, he thought he could. Galatians 3, 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by faith. Faith in whom? Faith in Christ, the one who perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The law is a tutor to Christ. That's what the law is for. The law is to point you to your need for Jesus Christ. The law is good and right. It is God's standard. You are to love Him perfectly. You are to love your neighbor perfectly. That is the standard. Can you do that? Are you doing it? If you are, you're in. If, you're, if you have any sin in your life, if you're failing in any way to, to love him perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly, then you're headed to hell. And if you're counting on the law to justify you, to hell with you. It is Christ who justifies us. 
So the law, this man gives the exact right answer to the question that's asked. He asks the question of Jesus. What shall I do? Jesus says to him, what, what's written in the law? How do you exegete that? Well, what's written in the law is black and white, and that's what I must do. And the 70 disciples around are saying, no, no, that's not true. It's in him, in and through him, faith in him. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit Zoe Ionias? My soul is never going to die. I know that. I know the only way to live eternally with God is to be made right with God. How do I do that? Looking to trip Jesus up by saying something other than what's written. So Jesus puts him right to what was written. The problem is the man has no idea what that law was put there for. He actually thinks he can do it. You see, when you talk to a Mormon or you talk to a Jehovah's Witness or you talk to many Roman Catholics, what they think they need to do is live righteously to earn their way to a right relationship with God. And if they fail, they just have to do better. They have to put in more hours. They have to put in more time. They have to do more rosaries. They have to do more penance. They have to go more missions trips. It's Christless. Christ isn't necessary in their economy, in their religion. For, for their eternal soul. Now, what Jehovah's Witnesses do to get rid of that problem is they teach annihilationism. They say, if you are right with God, you'll die and go to heaven. If you're not, you'll die and there is no hell. Well, that's not true. What must I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. When someone says, I just have to be good enough, I have to be, to be right with God, show them the standard and assure them. If they do that, they're right with God. And they'll see how, if they're listening, if God gives them eyes to see and ears to hear, they will see they're not right with God. They fall far short of the standard. Just because they're relatively moral and they're pretty good people, that's damnable. Closing thought. The answer to life's most important question must be answered correctly what is your answer to the question of what one shall do to inherit eternal life and if your answer is anything other than believe into Christ Jesus believe on Christ Jesus then you have the answer wrong 
and your eternity is going to be separated from God in hell. And there's nothing you can do to please God to allow you into his kingdom. It's why he sent his son who would do everything perfectly. That if you would put your faith and trust in him, then you'll live. And if you have your faith and trust, if you don't believe in hell or you don't believe in heaven, you're deceived. If you believe in heaven and you think there's any other way to get there than Jesus Christ, you're deceived. If you think you're good enough in yourself to get there, you're deceived. If you answer anything other than Christ alone, you're deceived. (laughs) Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The message of Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of our souls is music to to the believer's ear. We say amen and hallelujah. Thank you. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Life's most important question, what shall you do to inherit eternal life? Believe on Christ. That's what you should do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for this this clear example of a man who has his trust in himself, in his system of religion, in knowing your Bible, but not knowing your Christ. Father, help us to be a people who would Point people to the law as right and good. Teach it to our children. Command them to follow it. And that when they fail, they might see Christ. Their only hope. Our hope. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Jesus, thank you. It's on one of your handouts. Jesus, thank you.